Hello, I'm Lex and welcome to this Quell podcast on casual racism. Today we're taking a closer look at covert racism, sometimes called casual racism or termed microaggression. What is it? What does it feel like? How can we support people who experience it? And how can we call it out, recognise it and help end it? I should say that if this discussion triggers any uncomfortable feelings, please do, if you can, talk to friends or family about it. You're not alone. Your GP is there if you need further support. It may also be that Quell is available in your area. Quell is qwell.io. Um, and if it is available in your area, we can support you. I have a lovely guest with me today. Welcome, Dr. Jerry Takari. Jerry is a clinical psychologist at Couth. He's lived all over the place, but was born in Nigeria and now lives in Northern Ireland. Jerry's going to talk to us about his personal experiences of covert racism, the stuff that might go under the radar, the stuff you notice and wonder if others do too, the stuff that happens that you might not know what to do with, but which may leave you ultimately feeling very hurt. Jerry's also going to talk about how to manage and how to acknowledge feelings around these casual microaggressions. Hello, Jerry. Hello, Lex. Thank you for the opportunity to come here to speak today. Lovely. <laughs> lovely to hear you. Lovely to see you, Jerry. Um, thanks for joining us. So to start with, um, Jerry, can you say a bit more about what we mean by covert or casual racism? Okay. Um, thank you, Lex. Um, I guess before we go ahead, I would like to put a disclaimer there that basically like um, some of the things I'm going to talk about today are based on my thoughts, my experiences, my emotional reactions from the experiences and my learning. Um, so um, before we talk about casual racism, I, I think it might be helpful for us to, um, and I guess this is how I thought about it, so to think about what is racism, because I guess from my perspective, I always look at it from a perspective of difference and mm -hmm. and the threats that difference poses and, and stuff. But um, just reading the definition of racism, and uh, it comes from the, um, the Race at Work Report, 2015 Race at Work Report, and he talks about racism as a system of domination and oppression with a historical basis and divides and organizes society in ways that structurally disadvantage certain minority groups on the basis of their ascribed ethnicity or race. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is a very helpful bit. It says it is important to make a distinction between racism and other forms of prejudice and discrimination that do not draw from the domination of the race, race and ethnic minority groups. And mm -hmm. that's that's helpful yeah. um, in terms of being able to separate racism from mm -hmm. um, how I how I used to think about it okay um, yeah does that make sense yeah it does make sense how did you used to think about it i just used to think about it primarily um from an, an evolutionary perspective as um a thing of difference mm -hmm. um and i would say i used to be in a situation where um um i never really thought about it in that yeah. in that way um until um, I, 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 I passed um, um, it till I was like 19, 20, 21. That's when I started what to happened about around, it. What happened around that age that made you sort of think about it differently? Um, I would say that basically, um, I guess one way to think about it is 
is to think about it from the perspective of my family in itself. So um, my parents lived here in the 60s, in the, in the United Kingdom, in the 60s, 70s, okay. and and yeah, in the 60s and 70s. So my elder siblings were born here in the UK. Um, yeah. So we moved to Nigeria because my dad got a job there, and that's where my younger brother and I were born. Um, then we spent a period in the States as well. Um, and so we've kind of like moved around and experienced like different cultures and and different peoples and 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 I guess um I have a a sense of identity that is kind of like strong and that yeah. is built around um family values and a sense of my um my um heritage if I should yeah. use that word yeah. mm-hmm. um and um I just saw us as um a human race that we come in like um different shapes and sizes we come in different we're just we're just um, amazing i should just think about the how interesting um the difference was and that's yeah. how i saw it so um, up until that point so up until you were sort of 18 19 would you have experienced or did you experience racism casual or otherwise actually did you experience no. any sort of racism before then no so it wasn't on the radar it wasn't my no, even from watching um programs on TV. I remember watching Roots when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um and I don't know if you know Roots. Roots is one Roots, okay. Roots is a a, a story about slave trade, really. Um uh-huh. yes, and I watched it as uh, I was really young when I watched it. Yeah. And I just didn't even think about it. Like, I just thought that this were this was not nice. This is not nice. Um I, I didn't look at it from the perspective of um um this is a group of people who have come over and taken slaves and are treating them this particular way. I didn't look at it. I just thought this was a nice and I, you know, and there was an interesting scene that is very vivid in my memory where they were trying to change the name. Oh wow, even thinking about it now. Yeah. It makes me think about my what my life is like now because yeah. in that scene from Roots, they were trying to um, they were they they got in this group of slaves um, and 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 they were um, there's this particular one they were they kept asking me he was a prince you know they kept asking him his name so they were giving them they were taking away the um, um, they didn't want he, he called himself Kunta that's his name Kunta Kinte mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a mm-hmm. very you know and getting it, I'm, I'm asking him to um, um, call himself by the name that they had given him. Yes. And he kept doing it. And I said, what's your name? And he kept saying, Kunta, Kunta. Oh, I kept, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and I, I will relate it to aspects of my experience now. Then I didn't see it as, I just saw it as, well, this is not nice, yeah. you know. And, I, and my explanation and rationale behind that will be because I had a sense a strong sense of self. I had a strong sense of my heritage, um, and and I knew who I was. I knew, you know, I knew like like my my parents' parents and my parents' parents' parents, and you know, you know, I I didn't think of it from that perspective at that point mm-hmm. in time. You know, that's um, interesting, isn't it? Because you had um, obviously a very secure sort of family network all around you, didn't you? And and a really strong sense of who you were, so that in a way protected you from maybe some feelings that others would, wouldn't have been quite so protected from. But I'm interested in in what changed for you. So did anything, was it a slow sort of realisation or did you move countries or did you experience an, an event or an incident 
around that age, sort of um, coming up to 20, which which sort of shifted your thinking a little bit or made you feel differently? Yes. So okay. and, and, and that's when um, elements of um, um, where we can actually separate racism from microaggression. Yes. Okay. You know, yeah, um, yeah. because racism is an overt expression of that difference in terms of race and ethnicity. So it's mm -hmm. very, very mm -hmm. open. Um, and then um, and then microaggression, which happens and you, you hear it all the time. It's still right? racism, though, Jerry, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, still, it's another form. It's a bit more of an insidious sort of harder to harder to recognize maybe form. But it's there, isn't it? Yes, yeah, and I guess we can separate them into, like you said, overt and covert yes. um, racism. Yes. Um, and I guess even for me as a person, I'm still learning a lot about myself and how the subtle influences, things that I'm 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 not mindful of, um, mm. have actually shaped the way I think and I behave. You know, um, so going back to the experience. Um, that maybe changed me. Um, uh, I used to work for Amnesty International, and I used to spend a lot of time talking to people about different things, and um, and, and loads of loads of loads of, and I'm, I met interesting people, you know, from different places. And I just, and that that also helped in my thinking about people in general. But I guess I was I was talking about the fact that sometimes, um, as 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 a clinical psychologist, as a therapist, as you know, one of our strengths or I would say personally, one of what I thought was my strength was my ability to um, sit alongside people um, and um, trying to put myself in people's shoes and know what they're feeling. Um, I used to think that that's one of my massive strengths and I can sit along people and know what they feel and, you know, just be alongside them. Um, but I guess a lot of things over the last years, um, years of my life made me has made me know that for sometimes you can actually know exactly what people are going through until you've actually experienced this. Yeah. You know, you can't actually know what it feels like until you've experienced it, you know. Um and 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 and, and I guess sometimes um be, be, before this period of my life, I'd been to the States a few times. Like I went, I lived there when I was a lot younger, but been there as, as a song that is more, um, um, uh, with more, more understanding and stuff. Um, and I went there and I used to think that, you know, I used to think people were really angry. I used to wonder why people were so angry. You know, and like I went to New York and Manhattan. And I, it was very, very, a different sort of anger, you know, in literature and like so many things, you know, and then when this experience happened to me, so it happened when I was um, dating, and it's my first experience of it. Um, I was dating someone, and I remember when I was we started dating, um, we had like a. Um, I met, I got to meet a family, and it was amazing. You know, they were really nice to me. Um, I went out with them, went out a couple of times. You know, um, invited me to their home. We had meals together. We had a we had a great time. We had a great relationship. You know, dad and I had a great bond. You know, um, um, and then um, and I remember prior to us dating, I asked. You know, you know. I guess there must have been something about it because I asked what um, her parents would think of me, like in terms of being being black. Um, and she's like, oh, they will love you, you know, this, 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 that, you know, and, and yeah. Um, but then I remember when they found out we got really um, close and it was like really serious, you know, I remember 
being um, ostracized. I remember being um, told that, you know, it was not going to work. And Told by who, Jerry? Told by family by, by, members? Yes, family yeah, members. yeah, yeah. Um, by the same people that kind of like welcomed me when we initially started dating um and i was not going to work um um and um and and and, and their 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 um the reasons made sense to like you know you know just think about it what really look like you know you know asking questions about it's so so interesting now I've, I've not really said this before so interesting now how my narrative and my experience just aligns itself with some of the thing that Megan, you know, was talking about. I've never ever related it before. That's how interesting this is, you know, um, um, and what your, what your kids look like and how would they fit in, you know, you know those kind of things. And how do do you remember? Can you sort of tap into that younger self and remember how that how it made you feel? What was your reaction? Uh, so I'm, I'm a psycho. So we always talk about the fight, flight, or freeze response in relation to threats, and I must have frozen. Okay. Um, literally, I couldn't believe ours. In I was hearing what I was hearing. So that's that's the thing, you know. That feeling that I experienced, I can feel it in my body now as we speak. It's not something that, um, as much as you can try to be alongside and it's important to try to to know what it feels like sometimes when you experience it it's, it changes your perspective and I was just I was I was just I literally froze didn't know were you, what to were say. You shocked because I imagine you know you knew her family quite well at that point and then you were making certain assumptions about how welcome you were in the family and then was there that sense of shock where everything you thought sort of was turned sort of pivoted slightly yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Yeah. Not not only within the context of my relationship, in the, within the context of myself. Everything. I started to question okay. myself. Yeah. As a human being, as mm-hmm. as I saw myself as um and it's not a conscious thing. Because at this point in time I'd, you know, um this was at this point in time I was close to my, you know, in my tw- late tw- mid twenties. So I've gotten to a point where like I I'd, I'd been to medical school. I knew that basically there was something before I moved into psychology. I knew there was something, you know, about me, but I started to question myself, you know, um, I started to, you know, I started, but you see, and that's the, that's the challenge I went through. But at this point in time, uh, one of the things that got me through was my, my, my attachments, the fact that I was secure in my attachments, mm-hmm. you know, because all I said to remember that, um, and I always say to myself, I am someone's son. I am someone's son. You know, that got me through. I am someone's yeah. son. You know, I am I'm, I'm, I'm my mother's son. At that time, I lost my dad. You know, I'm my parents' son. So, you know, like, you know, like, even though the world, because that's what he felt like sees me as this. I know that I'm someone's son, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, that was that was a massive experience. Because prior to that as well, I remember saying that um, I used to, you know, say I used to um, when sometimes when you're walking down the street. I am. I used to live in um, the the north of England at that point in time. Walking down the street, you hear people say, you see people from. Um, 
black people or people from black and ethnic minority groups like when they see you they give you a nod and i i'm like and i used to used to at that point in time i, I used to find it very irritating i didn't understand it i was like why well, should you is it because i'm black that you you're doing this right you don't need to do this you know you don't do that to everyone you meet on the street why why you know and i remember in that state of um when I, in that state of um, dissociation for myself, where I was just wandering, I remember walking on the street. I remember all I was doing at that point in time was looking for someone that was black or from an ethnic minority group. And yeah. I wonder why, it was an unconscious process. I wondered why, when you reflect back, why were you doing that? You know, um, and, I, and all I was looking for was validation. Yes, yes. That, like, like, you're okay, you know, yeah. you're okay being you. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's what so, I was looking for. That's so powerful. And I can see how, yeah. how big, a, big an event that was and how it would change your thinking. I want, I'm just, I'm just wondering like, Jerry, you're, you know, well-qualified and you had that experience in your twenties. I wonder what it must be like to go through life as a child, just having those constant kind of, comments and uh judgments and um you know coming to that realization actually quite early and how what kind of impact that might have on somebody yeah you know without that same sort of maybe someone with the same secure background but someone that's having to deal with that sort of um attitude from you know maybe from age seven or eight you know really young yeah and that's a massive massive thank you for asking that question and that's why I having this sort of um, conversations about it and, and being open and honest about the reality of these experiences without pointing fingers is very, very important because we have to think about it, even though it's not most the nicest thing to talk about because of the impact it has on on people's psychological well-being and people's um, um, social interactions and people's physical health, you know, because I can see you know, especially your your early experiences are massive in terms of um, of how your identity, how you um, how you get that sense of get that in your on your sense of self. Yes. So imagine yes. what it feels like if you feel like you're a nobody. If you feel like you're um, you're there's something wrong with you. Yeah. You know, yeah, so from you can, the very beginning, from the very beginning, missing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but you know, and, and in reality, what we are, so to, to you, so it's so easy to, to form that sense of self, of so I start to have what we call self defective beliefs. There's something wrong with me, and I'll give you an example to highlight this that also happened as well. Okay. Um, and, and, and try and link it to how it can influence mm -hmm. a child. I remember going around to visit, um, um, an uncle who is um who is white and i remember my first encounter with him and and i must say that being able to own up to this has come as a result of a lot of hard work and a lot of growth in terms of myself you know um uh, and i remember i remember the, the joke he cracked you know you know he cracked he said oh he said oh jerry what what's wrong with you it looks like you've been drinking too much coffee Oh, yeah. Drinking too much coffee. Mm -hmm. Wow. And he would have thought that was a harmless yeah, comment. Was, he wouldn't was, have done that maliciously, I'm guessing, or no, did he? I don't no, know. No, no, that was just a, that was just a, 
a casual like how how did you respond to that initial again i froze but it was just a joke I was just like, oh, yes, you're right. And I, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I just felt it. I never mm-hmm. thought, thought of it from that perspective. I, I think I only recently started to think about this mm-hmm. over the last couple of days, to be honest, okay. you know, and to think about it. So imagine a young person going through that in a subtle way from, yes. from, from the TV, from, from, from just watching things around him or just hearing narratives of, of people from black and ethnic minorities are this and are that. And don't forget we're social beings. Mm-hmm. All we want to do is to connect. All we want, connection is the foundation of our survival. Connection is, that's the foundation of our survival because the more we connect, the higher the chances that we can survive. So it's innate it's in us to want to connect want to be part of the group so if you're and i think there's probably people that think that we do and there's probably people that think that um you know why do we need black lives matter there's no oh there's not so much overt racism not of the sort we used to see years ago so it's almost like i don't know do you feel like it's gone underground do you think it's it's covert because that's less recognizable you know, some people that say, yeah, but there's progress. You know, we've seen real progress because you don't see so much racism and racist behavior anymore. I don't know. Do you feel like the, it's just there still, but it's under the radar? Um, In terms of progress, I would say yes. The fact that we're sat here having this conversation yes, shows there's, yes. there's progress, you know, mm. and, and, and we're getting more and more comfortable talking about these things Mm. but there could could also be an argument that you know a lot of education around um because a lot of organizations do a lot of stuff around unconscious bias they do all those implicit they do they get you to do some tests to help you to you know they they do that but i feel like some people their argument is that um it kind of gives an excuse for why we why we think or behave in the way we behave as opposed to um actually maybe doing something about it you know um also um some people might think that um um it kind of makes us put things in place that are more politically correct um i know what to say know what not to say to avoid this and avoid that as opposed to turning towards the pain in itself i feel that that's that's key um yeah i think that's that's interesting isn't it because i was I was thinking the same thing about, um, and in fact, uh, was reading an interview with Imam Aitan, um, and he was really, he's, he's a founder of the Black Reformist Movement, and he was saying that if we don't acknowledge institutional racism, yeah. then we were trying to rectify something without acknowledging it exists, and it's not enough to call something diverse, diversity and inclusion, or equality, or give it another kind of, I don't know, more palatable term, because then are we really trying to trying to sort of point our energies in the right place? If we don't acknowledge the big thing, um, are we ever going to solve the big thing? Do you know what I mean? So so um, I was thinking about the same thing, like diversity and inclusion. It's lovely. It sounds very positive. But do you feel that that's covering up for something or we're too embarrassed or we're too awkward to actually say what it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I think that that's yeah. a, a massive point. I think a lot of 
um, a lot of the policies and, and, and things that we put in place, whilst they, they're great on the one hand, I think it can cover up a lot of stuff. Like, you know, you go and do an audit, for example, as long as they're ticking the boxes of like, we do this and we do that, you know, um, you know, um, you know, as, and I feel that, you know, there's a difference between, um, actually acknowledging the pain. So I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'll give you an example of something like that. So I guess that basically it's important for the leadership to first and foremost, the leader, people who are leaders to be, first and foremost, accept ownership of this, you know, without running away from it. Because one of the things that stops us from engaging in it totally is that 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 threat that it poses, what it brings up for us. So it's important for us to be in touch with it, the uncomfortable feelings when we talk about it. Okay. Then it has to become once we once we're in touch with the uncomfortable feelings, then it has to be become something that we value. So when, because yeah. the, the only the, the only time we things can change is when it when we you know um we do things that mean something to us. So you know if you have a list of things, there's a every there's every likelihood that you actually engage in an act that means a lot to you. So if you something means something to you, so if it we start to incorporate values like that, it means something to the leadership. You know it will be less of a tick box exercise that we can start to build a picture we can start to have organizations that have a picture of what it would look like you know in terms of how efficient their workforce will be in terms of how um um how um, inclusive their workforce will be in terms of the less people going off sick because it has a massive impact on your well wellness and also the productivity of the organization if you can have that bigger picture that if we have values like this where basically um, there's a commitment to, they would, it would have a commitment to doing something about it, you know, and then basically um, we create a safe place where there's no, no judgment, no nothing. We're just simply talking about things and then we can start to tackle all the systemic and the structural um, um, infrastructure that maintains yes. um, racism. Mm -hmm. And, and a good example of that is, and I, I would say I'm a product of that environment, is the university I went to for my doctorate, you know, and uh, so it's not, it didn't, they don't just talk the talk, they literally walk the walk, you know, and, you know, um, uh, and, and, and uh, basically, I think I would say that basically they, they saved me from the, um, the captivity of, of the influence of racism in micro and macro in my life really how did they, how did they do could you give an example of is it is it hard to give an example is it sort of one of those intangible things or was there anything in particular that made yeah. you feel safe so there's a map so that it's something that we talk about in inclusivity um we have inclusivity policy groups you know um that was part of where we we um we used to go to schools to um, talk to um, children, um, um, and it was very important. And I saw it as a responsibility. And and I guess what my motivation then was, I'd come to an awareness of the impact, um, um, microaggression, and and uh, as had in my life, stopped me from doing so many things. Influenced how I dressed, how I spoke, you know, um, made me call myself names to make it easier for people because you know people was you know people struggle to call my name you know those kind of things you know did you, um, do that? Did you find yourself doing that yes I did, dressing, I did dressing to be accepted yes. and being yeah, yeah. known by a certain name yeah. that was easier for white people to pronounce 
Yes. Okay. I, I, I remember going through a serious turmoil when I started to um, engage on, in one-to-one, offering one-to-one therapy. I, I used to go through stuff of how would people accept me, how would they see me, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I literally plan how I'll dress. If you dress this way, you know, maybe that would just take off uh, um, the initial shock reaction of them seeing a, a Black person um, offering them offering therapy. You know, um, yeah. So, and it's and, and and one of the things that changed me is the fact that Lancaster puts an emphasis on you being the vessel of change, as opposed to okay. thinking about practicalities and interventions. They walk on the person, and and part of what they they did for me, which I'll be eternally grateful for, is that they pay for their trainees to have um, to have. Um, um psychological interventions you know so they 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 become the clients and i yeah. guess engaging in therapy for myself made me notice some of the my unconscious patterns and and why i do certain things you know and made me see like wow i've really been in bondage of some of these things you know because yeah. all i want to do is to be a monk i want to be accepted I want to be seen. You want to, to make a connection, which is what you were talking about. You, you yeah. of course, have an urge to have those connections as everyone else does, of course. Yeah. So what would you say when you, when you were sort of having therapy as part of your course and then thinking about re- or recognising the ways in which that you had tried to be accepted, perhaps unconsciously, did you then make some changes? Did you notice yourself sort of changing and becoming, yeah. you know, just becoming more Jerry? Yes. Um, as a result yeah. of that. Yes, yes. I started to become more assertive. I started to challenge things a little bit more. I started to make sense of why, you know, why um, not tolerating some things, for example. You know, yeah. um, I changed my, my, well, I changed, I got to a place where I started to change my approach to dressing and just dressing in a way that was more Jerry-like as opposed to um you know, trying to fit in and yes. Den- yes. denying who I am to 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 just feel accepted, mm-hmm. um, and just some you know just challenging some certain things and just feeling bold enough to, to and, and and part of that also I must say is as a result of my role and 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 and, and um, my position I must say, which makes it maybe a little bit easier, which kind of gives me a voice. In a, what do in you a mean way. your role as a therapist as a clinical psychologist, yeah, psychologist you know yeah, yeah. so um which kind of gives me a voice you know yeah. um, because i can imagine if maybe if sometimes the role helps in that regard to give mm. to give you a voice and a permission to talk mm. you know um and i can imagine that for sometimes for some people um because you, you don't feel like you have that chance, that opportunity to talk, or you feel like if you talk, you'll be ostracized or seen as a troublemaker or, you yeah. know, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this week, but the conversation isn't over. Tune in again next week for part two of my conversation with Dr. Jerry Takari. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and remember to reach out for support if you need it.